בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, always good to be in Miami ברוך השם, the group ברוך השם is growing, and uh, little by little we're getting closer and closer to השם, to his Torah, getting uh, our תשובה continues to improve, the uh, amount of people that are enjoying the שיעורים that we're doing here and in other places continues to grow ברוך השם, and uh, it's always the um, initial message that's the same, which is, I never heard such things. You know, I watch your shiurs, I watch a lot of rabbis, but I never heard this before. And the funny thing is, is that everything that we talk about, as I've mentioned in many shiurim, it's all basic level Judaism. It's very basic level. This is what the Torah says. This is what the Chazal says. It's just that unfortunately in today's age, people are too scared for their own good to, uh, to teach what Amisal really needs. So anyone that uh, hasn't watched last night's shiur or any of the other shiurim, go to uh, TorahAnytime.com. Uh, or to our website, bezatashem.org. There's a lot of shurim there. There's hundreds of shurim, Baruch Hashem, that we've done. Short ones, long ones. Lately, they've been getting longer and longer, Baruch Hashem. But uh, as long as Hashem gives us something to say, we say. Uh, also, before I forget, we uh, do the shiur to Elui Neshmat, Eduardo Chaim Reyes, and also Nicole Valmana, and Olga Flores, and also to a refuah shlema to uh, David Ben Nesriya, Doris Bajora, Sarah Batsara, Levana Batsara, Michel Koto, Hadassah Batsara, Amparo Balufe, Ruven, Joseph Ben Rivka, Sarah Batsara, oh, another Sarah Batsara, Gladys Nunez, Edilma Guerrero, Josefina Matos, Esperanza Avila, Ana Sedeno, Guillermo Solano, Jose Avila, Raquel Sandler, Guardes Garcia, Guardes Rensoli, Yeshua Mikael Ben Hadassah, uh, David Uriel Ben Sarah, Olga Flores, which actually we just did, okay, and uh, David David Gamliel Ben Hadassah. David Gamliel Ben Hadassah is new, so hopefully he gets refreshed more very quickly. He's my grandson. Okay, about the same. By next week, he's not going to be on the list. And Rachel Batza, Bezat Hashem, they have refreshed Lima, refreshed the Nefesh, refreshed the Goof. And Naomi. Naomi Batester have also refreshed the Mavez of the Shem. The Shurim are for anyone that hasn't watched them before. We talk about Musar, we talk a little bit about you know things that are going to uh, improve our day to day life, how to improve our marriage, how to improve our own behavior, how to improve our uh, children's lives, how to improve our parenting skills, how to improve our jobs. Different character traits that we all have to develop, and we also throw some things in from the parasha itself, because as I've always said, if you ever want to find something, a special, personalized message to you, you could always find it in parasha Shavua. You just got to read it, you got to learn the parasha, and you always find some personal lesson that Hashem is sending you each week. Now, we, over the last uh, couple of uh, shurim, we've gone over the uh, Mishnayot of Hillel. This one is another one. This is Mishnah, this is I think number 18. So this is Mishnah Bet uh, Vav, which is 2-6. So Hu Omer, which is Hillel, En bu yerechet, velo am aaretz chasid, velo abayshan lamed, velo akavdan melamed, velo kol amarbe beschora machkim, ubimkom she'en anashim, ishtadel yot ish. Translation. He was accustomed to say, he meaning Hillel, a boar cannot be fearful of sin, 
An Ama Aretz cannot be scrupulous, scrupulously pious, can't be a chassid. A bashful person cannot learn, and a quick, impatient person cannot teach. And anyone who is excessively occupied in business cannot become a scholar. And a place where there are no leaders, strive to be a leader. So just like the other Mishnayot that we've heard from Hillel, they're all literal, where you could see just even the literal meaning of all of them. It's very simple to understand, and it's, a, uh, it's deafening, meaning that you have a wake-up call. He's telling you, there are certain things that if you, wanna, you have to do to get close to Hashem. But he's not telling you in a nice way where it's like, hey, listen, by the way, if you do this, Hashem loves you. If you don't do it, He loves you less. No, no, He tells you, if you do this, you connect to Hashem. But if you don't, you completely disconnect it from Him. So here He's telling you some things that are very, very critical. And there's a, um, there's like a policy or a rule in the, uh, the teachings of the sages is Rishon Rishon Chashuv. Meaning, it's similar to the uh, saying, first things first. But in the Torah, it's Rishon, Rishon Chashuv means the order of the words means what's the most important. So, it's not that Hillel is just mentioning a bunch of things randomly, and it doesn't really matter which one is which. He's actually showing you that the first thing that he mentioned is the most important. Second thing is second most important. Third thing is third most important. It's all in order. Just like, for example, last night we uh, went to go briefly to the uh, Mishnah. It talked about don't leave the, uh, don't separate yourself from the community. Meaning, don't be one of these people that's hiding in a cave and thinks that you know you're Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and uh, no, you're not part of a community. You have to be part of a community, unless the only community available to you is full of reshaim. Then obviously, it's better for you to be in a desert. And have a neighbor, a scorpion and a, uh, and a, and a uh, snake, that could be your neighbor, that's fine. That's better than Rashaim. According to the Rambam, this is what he writes. Rambam writes, if, you, if you're surrounded by Rashaim, it's better to move to the desert. But if you have people that are normal, even though maybe you have, so not the biggest tzaddikim in the world, but they're normal, maybe they're trying to get closer to Hashem, then you have to try to be a positive influence in the community. Don't separate yourself from the community. Second thing he says, don't believe in yourself until the day you die. Until the day you die. Meaning, don't have so much confidence in yourself where just because you go to prayer in the morning, early in the morning, or just because you have Kisui Rosh and nobody else does, just because you know this and nobody else does, don't be so sure of yourself. Because Yohanan, the Kohen Gadol, was a Kohen Gadol for 80 years, and at the end of his life he became a Kofel, became a heretic. So if he can fall after 80 years of being the Gadol Adol, you that you know a few prayers by heart, don't, don't be so sure of yourself. The next thing he tells us is that don't judge your fellow until you've reached this place. Meaning, listen, you can't just say, listen, this guy is uh, bad this because he made one sin. Maybe his yetzerah for that one thing is much bigger than your yetzerah. You know, for example, you see somebody, I have, unfortunately, I have a case right now where a woman is telling me that she found out that her husband is cheating on her. It's a disaster. But... For another guy to say this to this guy, hey, listen, you know, he's, uh, he's the worst guy in the world, it's not necessarily 100% right. Because maybe you don't have a Yetzirah for women, but him, his only Yetzirah is women. He goes to Bikneset, he donates money, he has great... Me- everything is great. But his only Yetzirah could potentially be woman- women. This is obviously a hypothetical example. So, 
you can't really judge somebody until you have the same Yetzirah. Because we also have even stories in the Gemara where Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Meir Baranes, in two different uh, stories, both of them almost fell for a woman. Both of them. It's Rabbi Akiva and, and, and Rabbi Meir. It was, the woman was actually the Satan himself, dressed up like a woman. And he made himself into the most beautiful woman that ever lived. So it was something that was unimaginable. But just to show them, don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. Just because you're Rabbi Akiva, just because you're Rabbi Meir, doesn't mean anything. All of you can fail. Don't have so much confidence. So that's the next thing he says. After that he says, don't make a statement that can't be easily understood. And, you know, don't speak in like a acronyms or like in weird language where like it's like code. You know, you're, you're speaking in a way like, no, one day they're going to understand me like you're some philosopher. Speak, speak clearly. Don't assume anyone else knows what you're talking about. Speak very clearly. Make sure that everyone understands you, whether it's your children or it's your spouse or it's your employees or it's your boss. Always speak clearly. And last but not least, he says, don't ever say I'll study when I'm free. Uh, because perhaps you'll never become free. Don't say, I'll study Torah whenever I have time. I'll get time, I'll, I'll study Torah. He says, don't ever say that. Why? Because maybe you're never going to get time. Maybe you're never going to get time. There was a true story that happened to, uh, unfortunately, to a guy in New York. Rabbi Mizrahi, uh, this is his story. He uh, says there was a young guy that had a lot of drug problems that uh, he was constantly trying to bring him to seminars. Constantly trying to bring him to seminars. And uh, the first time he tried bringing him, the kid never showed up. You know, everything was paid for. All he had to do is just bring himself. If he wants to bring some clothes for the weekend, that's it. No money, no nothing. Just come, we'll help you do tshuva. The kid didn't come. After the weekend was over, Rabbi Mizrahi contacted him and said, No, what happened? How come you didn't come? We paid for you. We... Uh, Made sure you had a reserved room, which takes a spot of somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry, Kvodarav, I'm sorry. Next one, I'm going to come. Next one, I'm going to come. Okay. You know, it's not a seminar every week. It takes months. So a few months pass. He's like, no, you're going to come to this seminar? It's like, this one, I'm definitely coming. Definitely coming. Same thing happens. He doesn't show up. After the weekend, Rabbi Mizrahi calls him again. Knew what happened this time. Because, no, I'm sorry, this thing happened and that thing happened. Well, a bunch of different excuses of why he didn't come. So the third time, Rabbi Zerach is like, okay, this time I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pick you up and then you're going to come. He's like, you don't have to pick me up. My, my suitcase is already ready. You don't have to pick me up. I'm going to be there. Don't worry. This time I'm not going to fool around. I'm coming this time. Shabbat is about to come in. Rabbi Mizrahi and all the other guests are in the hotel and he's looking at the clock and the kid's still not there. Shabbat's in. So they're like, oh, maybe, whatever, he's secular. Maybe he's going to drive on Shabbat and just come here anyway. Nothing. Friday passes. Shabbat passes. The kid's not there. Motzei Shabbat calls him. No answer. Eventually on Sunday night after the seminar is over, he calls a, uh, a mutual friend of this kid. You know, did you hear from him? He's like, oh, you don't want to know. Why you don't want to know? They found his, uh, his body on his couch after overdose. And he had a suitcase right next to his uh, ready for the seminar. 
right next to the couch. He was ready for the seminar, but he took some drugs before. So, what's the, the, this is obviously a real story, it's a shocking story, but the reality of the story is that it also puts this Mishnah in perspective. There's a few different things, there's a few different Mishnah that it connects to. Number one, there's one Mishnah where it says, you know, don't say, don't say that you're going to make a sin today and then you're going to do tshuva, you're going to make a sin today and then you do tshuva. Because then Shemaim gets, you know, in heaven they get very angry about that and they won't let you do tshuva. Somebody says, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come do tshuva and you waste everybody's time, you're not going to do tshuva. It's a very, very serious uh, sin in Shemaim. That's number one. Number two, don't assume that you have tomorrow. Oh no, tomorrow I'm going to study. Next week I'm going to study. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. Next week I'm going to do this. Hashem is ready today. Why aren't you? If you had a meeting with, I don't know, some president of your company, president of the country you live in, he says, listen, I want to meet you tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning. I tell him, listen, you know what? It's a little too early for me. Can we meet at uh, 11? How about this? I'm actually kind of busy for you, Mr. President. Can we meet next week? You're not going to tell him that. Why? Because it's the president. Because it's your boss. Because it's somebody important. But the king of kings, we treat him like he's one of our buddies. So, Hillel is telling us here that we can't treat Hashem like he's one of our buddies. But he also put it in a similar order. Why did he put uh, the studying part as last? Because in the beginning he told you, first of all, you have to make sure that you're part of a community. Community can strengthen you. If you have a quality community, it can strengthen you. If it's a weak community, then you have to leave and you get a better one. But if you're a good quality community, it can strengthen you. But after you get strong, don't get too overconfident. Don't get overconfident. And by, Because if you're overconfident, you're going to end up judging people. You're going to be very judgmental on other people when really you've never had their test. You've never had that test. It's like people, you know, people that don't understand sick people. You know, because one thing that you can't see about sick people is you can't see pain. Can't see pain. So I remember when uh, when I was uh, sick, I looked 100% normal. You know, my face was normal, my arms were still in place, my legs were still in place. Everything was 100% normal. It's not like when you have pain, there's blood gushing everywhere like the movies. And people would look at it like, what's wrong? Like They wouldn't understand, why, is, why can't he walk? Why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? Why does he scream every few minutes? Like People don't get it. People don't understand that part. And they think, like in the beginning, like, oh, how come this guy didn't come to work for the last week? What do you mean he's in pain? What big, he's just making it up. Because people like to judge, they like to assume, but until you've actually experienced something that somebody else has, don't judge them. Because 99% of the time you're going to be wrong. Also, when you say things, say them very clearly. And last but not least, don't procrastinate when it comes to Torah. Now, the reason why he says don't procrastinate uh, when it comes to Torah last is to remind you that all of these things that you have, these are all foundational things. But the only way you're actually ever going to get to the point of even realizing that these are things you need is if... You're not one of those people that procrastinates when it comes to Torah. If Torah is priority in your life, then you have a shot. Then you have a shot of connecting to Hashem, 
then you have a good shot of succeeding in it, then you have a good shot of being a decent human being that your community is going to enjoy, then you're going to be you know, somebody that people want to be next to. But if you're going to be one of those people that's going to say, no, no, I'm going to come to the shiur next month, or next month, in two months, in three months, I have some people send me every week. Every week they tell me they're going to come to the shiur, and every week they don't come. And I think to myself, why do they even bother telling me they're going to come? <laughs> like, it's not school. I mean, you're, I, you know, you're not getting a grade. If you come, you come. You don't come, you don't come. Like, I don't understand the point. Like, people tell me, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm, and they don't come. And it's like, it's, I, I, don't, I look for them, and I, and I always, sometimes I wait. You know, I'll delay the lecture for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes because, oh no, so-and-so said he's going to come. And they don't come, so I'm like, I, I don't get it. But it's every week, it's the same thing. How about the one that says, maybe? Oh, maybe. Oh, the, the best, no, the best, the best is when, so, when I ask somebody if I get to talk to anybody and I say, uh, are you going to come? The best is when I say, bli nedel. Bli nedel. They say, no, without a swear. Anyone, somebody, anyone says that to you, it's 100% no. It's just a polite way of saying no. That's the is. Glinadil pretty much means no. But that's what he's actually telling you in the Mishnah. Don't be don't speak in a, you know from two sides of your mouth. Say you don't want to come, don't come. You're gonna come, come. You wanna do chuba, do chuba. Don't play, you know, don't. I had another guy send me an email the other day saying, if you prove to me XYZ, I'm gonna start eating kosher. Why? Why do you need me to prove you anything? Why do you need me to prove you anything? You wanna find out. Then find out. If you really, if if it's that important, you find out. Why don't I have to prove it to you? If you want, there's plenty of books. I read them. You read them. Read them. Like why? I work for you. And that's the thing. I mean, well, Hashem, we try. If we have the information accessible, we get it. We we give it to people. But people are like a. They're constantly putting the onus on you to make you responsible for their actions. So if I don't do it, if I don't take an hour of my day. And give it to him to prove it to him that something happened. Then he's not going to do it. Then, he's, then he's, he thinks that's okay. Like he's going to go up to Shammai and say, "Hey, God, listen. I asked uh, you know your own to uh, prove to me that uh, whatever. Prove to me that you exist. You didn't do it, so that's why I didn't keep Shabbat." You think it's going to actually help you in Shammai? You're going to get extra punishment for the stupidity? It's not going to work. So that's the thing. So it's it's really important for people to grow up a little bit and you know speak clearly, do what you actually you know say what you what you're going to do and do what you say. So here, Ilel is in essence continuing the same ABCs, the same Aleph Bet of being close to Hashem, but Mamash the very basic minimum. Even though some of these things seem like they're higher than us. In reality, this is all basic minimum. So, this shouldn't discourage anyone, oh, we're not at the basic minimum. This should just tell you, okay, this is where I need to be. There's a famous saying, lo pashut liot yudi pashut. It's not simple to be a simple Jew. What's a simple Jew, though? A simple Jew is a Jew that follows all of the Torah. In today's world, that's not so simple. Simple Jew to follow the entire Shulchan Aruch, for us, we don't even know the whole Shulchan Aruch to know if we're even following it. But we need to know what to aim for. Someone that wants to be successful in something, first they have to find out what it is to decide of whether they can even do it. Or he can even imagine it. Someone wants to fly, first they need to learn how to fly. Then they can decide if they want to actually be a pilot or just do it for fun. 
So, Hillel is telling us here, first thing first, En bu yirechet. A bur cannot be fearful of sin. So Rashi and the Rambam both comment on this. What is a bur? A bur is someone that's completely empty. It's a person that has no knowledge whatsoever of Torah and also no, no good midot. He has no good character traits. And Rabbeinu Yonah says that he also doesn't even know how to behave basic level. Like even like a decent human being, he doesn't even know that. So a boar is someone that's completely hollow. Like he has nothing in them. And he then is telling us, such a person can never be fearful of sin. He can never have the basic level connection that's required to connect to Hashem. The basic level connection to, to connect to Hashem is Yirat Shemaim, fear of Hashem. Shlomo Amela tells us, Reshit Chokhmah, Yirat Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Beginning. Once you fear Hashem, then you can say, I believe in Him. You can't say, I believe in Hashem and not be afraid of Him. Because to believe in something, you need to know what it is. I believe you're next to me. Because I know what a human being looks like. I believe all of you are next to me because I know what people look like. But if I said, I believe in aliens, okay, you probably not come to the shore anymore. Unless I could show you, hey, listen, this is me and the alien and the last you. It's like, oh, okay, we believe in aliens too. <laughs> but now, but now, if someone says, I believe in God, that means that you need to know what God is. He's a creator. Anyone that has even a small understanding of what the creator is, what God is, a small understanding of what a human can understand, immediately, they would become scared. Immediately. Why? Because if there's a creator, that means the creator is in charge of everything, including you, including the cells in your body, including the vision that you see, including the sounds that, you're he- that you hear, including the blood cells that are making you function, including the panasa that you work so hard for. And the hair of your hands. Everything. <laughs> everything. He's, 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 mama, he's, he's in charge of everything. So if, if you're scared of your boss because he's in charge of your job, why wouldn't you be scared of God that's in charge of your world? So that means that immediately when you fear Hashem, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning that shows, okay, you're a normal person. If you don't have fear of Hashem, then you believe in a different God. You believe in something else. So that's what he's saying here. A bull, someone that's empty, he can't have fear of Hashem. He can't have fear of Hashem. Why? Because he's so empty, he has no idea what Torah is. He has no idea what the truth is. And he has no idea what he doesn't know. He doesn't know enough to know that he doesn't know. And that's one of the things that you'll see with Torah... The um, sages will always use different analogies to compare Torah to light, Torah to a uh, water, oil, and so on. And yesterday we said a nice story. It was a uh, one of the sages about maybe fifty years ago. Um, said that 
they put a uh, traffic light uh, next to his house, first time in Bnei Brak, and uh, he asked one of his students, what do you think of this light? Students, Lamdeni, you know, like, teach me, Rabbi, it's traffic light, you care about traffic lights all of a sudden? It's like, at night, the further you are from the traffic light, the bigger the shadow. The closer you are to it, the smaller the shadow. What is it like? The closer you are, the further you are from the light of Torah, the more you think you know. The bigger deal you think you are. The closer you are to Torah, the more Torah you actually know, the smaller you think you are because you realize how much you don't know. So when it comes to the truth, the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. Abor doesn't understand this concept. Abor doesn't even know what he doesn't know. Which makes him the most dangerous of all. There's different types of people. There's people who know. There's people who don't know. But then there are certain people that don't know what they don't know. And there's people that know what they don't know. The person that knows what he doesn't know is the best type of person. Because at least he knows where he stands. But the person who doesn't know what he doesn't know usually pretends like he knows. There's a little bit of a tongue twister, so it's confusing. But nonetheless, Abur is one of those people where he doesn't even know what to fear. He doesn't even know that he's supposed to fear. And just lives his life aimlessly with no direction and ends up acting with what, you know, based on his instinct. And this is the furthest you could possibly get from Hashem. So Yilad says, first thing first, don't ever be that guy. Don't ever be that person. Velo ama aretz chasid. Now the next level, someone is the ama aretz. Ama aretz is someone that is knows basic level Judaism, basic level, but is his growth is stunted, meaning that he's no longer willing to grow. He started to do tshuva where he keeps Shabbat, he keeps kosher, keeps the holidays to the best of his knowledge, but that's it. He's not really willing to learn anymore. Maybe he'll learn once a week for a half hour, but he's already doing tshuva for five, ten years. Same thing that he started five years ago, he's same thing today. Nothing's changed. That's what you call an amalitz. Amalitz is somebody just is doing very, very basic but it also means, according to the Gemara, the uh, sages would not rely on them when it comes to purity issues. So, for example, when it came down to uh, the purification of the korbanot or anything that was relating to, to the sacrifices of, uh, of different utensils or things that would come to the Bet Migdash, the sages would say, one rule of thumb is you cannot rely on the Amalets. Why? Because the Amalets is not really careful with uh, with issues of purity. He doesn't care enough to take things to the mikveh. He doesn't care enough to make sure to pay attention if it even needs to go to the mikveh. He just thinks that he's doing enough. I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher, leave me alone. I keep the popular mitzvot. I have a mezuzah. Did you check the mezuzah? Yeah, ten years ago. Okay, but well you need to check it a little more often than ten years. 
You have tefillin? Yeah, I have my bar mitzvah. Yeah, but you're 53 years old. You're 53 years old. It's 40 years. You haven't, you know, you haven't changed your tefillin. Your talit, you know, is a little small on you. It only reaches your shoulders. That's for a little kid. You're, you know, you're a big guy, Hashem. You know, people, you know, it's like, okay, they're doing the mitzvah, but it's like half. It's like 50-50. But when it comes to like money and business, they work overtime. So when it's issues of this world, we work overtime. When it's issues of the eternal world, not so much. So that's Amaretz. Amaretz is like the 50-50. It's like he's, he's pretending like he's doing Hashem a favor for doing the mitzvot. So the Amaretz, so, so he says the Amaretz can never be a chassid. Can never be a chassid. Now what's a chassid? Now in today's world, we have a misunderstanding of what a chassid is, because we think that everyone that wears black and white and has a beard is a chassid. It's completely wrong. That's just some guy that has a beard and wears black and white. That's all it is. The beard is free. When you're a man, Hashem gives it to you. Sometimes when you're a woman, but it's not good if you're a woman. <laughs> the hat, I'm sure somebody's going to give it to you. You can buy it. Just And the black and white is just a style. As a matter of fact, in the old days, it was bad for a Jew to wear black. It's only in this past few generations that black and white became popular amongst Jews. But that does not make you a Hasid. Belonging to an organization like Chabad does not make you a Hasid. Belonging to Breslev does not make you a Hasid. Belonging to anything does not make you a Hasid. What makes you a Hasid is your actions. Now, the Torah gives us some teachings about what it means to be a chassid. Now, just like the Amaretz is someone that's just keeping very, very basic level mitzvot, but is not really careful with certain things, the chassid is the exact opposite. The chassid keeps all of the mitzvot, the entire Shulchan Aruch, but it's not enough for him. So he wants more. So he does extra stringencies. I'm in. He does extra stringencies, please. Extra stringencies. Extra careful. Extra going to the mikveh. Even as a man, where well, you're not really commanded to go to the mikveh as a man. Extra careful with his midot. Extra careful with his respect and honor of Hashem. Everything is extra careful. No, you can give it. You give it to him, and all. It's okay. Thank you. It's going to be tzvot. It's going to be tzvot. Sorry, man. No problem. Oh, chatzal donai don mechalam. Shakoni meduok. Amen. So, Hasid is someone that is extra careful. Now, how do I know that there's a very big confusion? One of my students. had this job where um, he was a uh, executive assistant for uh, for this company and the boss volunteered to help the synagogue and of course the boss didn't actually want to do the help or anything he wanted my student to do it because he works for him even though it's not really part of his job but that's what So, 
the synagogue got some type of grant or something, some type of government grant, and um, the guy was supposed to like help use this grant, um, build some type of extension to the synagogue, or do something, something to do with the synagogue. So anyway, so my student gets the project from his boss, and he calls the uh, rabbi that heads the synagogue, and he says, uh, hi, I'm from so-and-so, I'm here to help with the uh, project. And immediately this Hasid rabbi starts yelling at him. Oh, you're wasting my time. Why did you take so long to call me? What have you done so far? Like, first of all, I just got this project two minutes ago. Second of all, I don't work for you. Third of all, I'm not your son. Fourth of all, why are you talking to me this way? I mean, they give you a list of different things of how are you behaving. You're a rabbi. You're borderline even a human being. But he had the whole uniform. He had the beard, he had the hat, he had the whole thing. A picture, you could put him on the wall. In reality, you want to hang him on the wall. So a chassid is not that. A chassid is not the look. A chassid is actions. A chassid is someone that's ultra, ultra careful about every single word that leaves his lips. Every single action that comes out of his life, he's extra careful. That's what a chassid is. Because he is even careful about the thoughts that he has in his mind. The Torah, in the book of Leviticus, talks about korbanot, sacrifices. And Hashem teaches us a little bit of what's a chassid. We said it last night, but it's a very good chidush I got from Rabbi Ephraim. It says, if somebody made an accidental sin, made a sin by accident, they have to go bring a korban to the Bet HaMikdash. Okay, accident. If it's on purpose, it's a different story. Somebody turns on the car on purpose on Shabbat, there's no, no tshuva. It's death penalty. But if he, by accident, turned on the light, he ran into the light with his elbow, by accident, he forgot it was Shabbat, it's accident, it's a different story. Then he can bring a korban. Now, if somebody has money, he brings a nice korban. What does he bring? He brings a bull, brings a sheep, brings something nice. But Miskin, what if he doesn't have any money? He's a shoe salesman. Or he sews clothes together. He doesn't have much money. He can't afford to bring a bull. So the Torah says, So says Hashem, have him bring two doves. One korban chatat, one korban ola. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. The guy that's in, that's rich, he's bringing one korban. A big bull. The guy that's poor barely can afford the bird. You tell him to bring two birds. And not only one korban, he sinned and he sinned. Both of them made the same sin. Both of them made the same sin. It's not like he made a worse sin. Both of them had the same sin. Both of them accidental sin. One guy is rich, one guy is poor. One guy is bringing a big korban of chatat, a big bull. The other one is bringing a little korban chatat of dove. That's because he doesn't have money, not because he doesn't uh, want to do it. But the Torah says he also has to bring a different type of korban also. Another dove. 
So the question is, why does he have to bring two, two kobanot? The guy barely has any money. You're bringing him to two kobanot. Why, his sin is worse because he has any money? The Evan Ezer brings the chidush from Rav Yitzchak that will give us a perspective once and for all what the Torah thinks is a chassid. He says the guy that doesn't have any money, he's thinking to himself, look, I made a sin, and uh, Chaim over there made a sin. We both made the same sin. He brought a bull. I can barely afford two doves. They're making me bring both of my doves for two different korbanot. Hashem, I can barely afford it. Okay, I made the sin, but you couldn't give me a little bit more money. Maybe I can give you a better korban. You couldn't give me a little bit more money. Maybe I could get better tefillin. Maybe I wouldn't even make this sin. And Chazal says for that thought that maybe Hashem made a mistake, you have to bring a korban. For the thought, not because you said it out loud. Say it out loud, they kill you. It's death penalty. The thought you had in your mind that maybe Hashem didn't give you enough money. We having some Parnassai issues. It's Hashem's fault, not your fault. You have Parnassai issues, you're blaming Hashem. For that thought, He says you have to bring another Korban. How many times do we think that? How many times do we get angry at Hashem and Hashem, the rent's not paid? No, no, Hashem. The landlord's waiting. He complains to Hashem like he owes you something. Landlord's waiting. The mortgage is waiting. The school is waiting. No, Hashem, no. We come to him with uh, complaints 24 hours a day like he owes us something. Torah says, you want to be a chassid, you're not even allowed to have the thought that Hashem made a mistake. The thought you're not allowed to have. Because for that you have to bring a separate korban. So that's what a chassid is. Now I ask you, how many of those people with the black and white, with the nice beard and a sombrero, mm-hmm. how many of them do you think think like that? How many of them do you think have such pure minds where they don't question Hashem? I bet it's not that many. It's not that many. So that's something that to wake us up as far as, you want to be a chassid? Chazakobol, do it. But remember, that means that you have to go from Aleph Ataf. You have to do everything that the Torah says plus more. So, if you want to do it, do it. But don't be one of these people that looks like one, but is not even Amalitz. Because that's what we have a lot of. We have a lot of people that look like they're Hasidim. But in reality, they're closer to being a bull or Amalitz. They just have to look. So don't do it. Not this one, not this one. Look like a normal Jew. Put a basic keeper on. Wear normal clothes. Act like a normal human being. You don't have to have a beard that sweeps the floor. Act like a regular human being. When you actually can handle the responsibility of looking the part, then be the part. But until you can do it, there's no reason for it. There's absolutely no reason to uh, to look a certain way if you can't handle it. Like I, I hated it. I remember when I was uh, not religious. 
one of the things that constantly gave me an excuse to stay not religious is when I would see so-called religious people in casinos. You know, they go to casinos or bars or different places, and you see these guys with like the Hasidic hats and the black and white, and I'm like, okay, I'm secular. I belong here because this is what I do for fun. What are you doing here? You're supposed to be a man of God. Like, it doesn't look, even to, even to somebody that's blind, it doesn't look good. Even if I don't believe in anything you say, it still doesn't look good. So at least if someone is watching this and it's like 50-50, 50% real, 50% fake, at the very least, stop, stop wearing the clothing. Because it becomes a difference in it. It becomes Chilul Hashem. Desecrating of Hashem's name. Now it's a different level of sin. So, this is one of the most important things that all of us need to understand. That as a Jew, you have a serious, serious responsibility to yourself, to Hashem. And this responsibility... is to represent Hashem at all times. You can't say, oh, listen, okay, since I'm not wearing the uh, Hasidic clothes, I could act whatever way I want. No, because the reality of it is that if you act a fool, then what ends up happening is someone's going to find out that you're Jewish, and that's what's going to be on the headlines. Just like these Rashaim they have in Israel, so in a place, the one place you would think we'd at least have some favoritism. But in Israel, when anything happens with terrorism, you say, one Israeli kills five Arabs. They don't say, well, these five Arabs were all terrorists and they killed like 60 people. They don't say that. They say that the Jew killed five Arabs because that's what, that's what the Satan does. That's the way the world is. And that's why we have to be prepared for that. Justice is not going to happen in this world. Just like right now, these Rishayim convicted a soldier, an Israeli soldier, and he's going to jail. Why? Because he killed a terrorist. He did his job. He did it. When you're a soldier, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to throw rocks. You're supposed to shoot people when they try to kill other people. That's what soldiers do. A soldier that can't kill is not a soldier, it's a puppet. But he killed somebody because it was a terrorist. Now they're sending him to jail. That was in the news today. Yeah. So what's going to happen now? No one's going to want to be a soldier. No one's going to want to be a soldier. No one's going to want to defend the country. Terrorism is going to rise. And the Arabs are already going to win without us even trying. Why? Because no one wants to go to jail. They're like, oh, listen, let them kill everybody. I'm not going to jail for them. It's horrible. But this is also one of the prophecies of what's going to happen at the end of times. In the Gemara, Masechet Sota, page 49, it says that at the end of times, the leadership that we're going to have is going to do things that are the opposite of what's good for the people. Usually, leadership is supposed to lead by doing what the people want. People want you to have a certain thing, that's what you do. Because the people voted for you. Here, it's saying that at the end of times, the leadership is going to do the opposite of what the people want. Which is completely unusual. How are they even staying in office? But this also, again, shows us that who's really running the show. 
So now, the next part is, after we realize, okay, we cannot be a bull, we definitely cannot remain an Am Aretz, because being an Am Aretz is definitely not enough. Whether we decide to become a Hasid or not, that's definitely our choice. But the first two levels, Hillel is telling you, these are not good levels. It's not good to not know anything, and it's definitely not good to just stay exactly where you have to consistently grow. Your base, he's showing you pretty much here the first few levels of Judaism. The worst, the middle, and the best. Then he says, what's the next one? It says, Velo Abayshan Lamed. And someone that's shy can never become a Talmid Chacham. He can never be a good student. Someone that's a Baishan, someone that's shy to ask questions, he's in a very dangerous position that he doesn't even realize where he stands. Because when someone is shy to the point where they're too scared to ask questions, then they don't realize that they don't even know the value of a mitzvah or the value of a sin. And if I told you, listen, every time you ask a question, I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars. You're going to ask me questions until you can't breathe anymore. Now, if I told you that trillions of dollars, however many trillions we can figure out in our head, trillions of dollars is not even a down payment. It's not even a down payment for the smallest mitzvah we have. Small, Pick any mitzvah you want. The smallest one, trillion, all the money in the world that ever existed is not even a down payment for that small mitzvah. So now, that already means that if we don't do that mitzvah, we're not getting that money. But on top of it, the punishment is just the same. The magnitude of our sins can also be that big where people don't understand what is the significance of a woman that's not pure to be with a husband when they say listen that's for chassid that's for the ultra religious ah, we're chofshi where we you know once in a while we go to the mikveh once in a while we don't go to the mikveh and she's too shy to ask the rabbi, when am I supposed to actually go to the mikveh? Is it after a few days? Is it after a week? Is it after this? Is it after that? Or even worse, you know, a woman is supposed to do bdika. She has to check herself when she's clean. Now, in today's age, everybody's very shy all of a sudden. Everyone's very shy. We walk around half naked in the street, but to the rabbi, we're shy. No one wants to check with the rabbi if she's if it's pure or not. Because, again, sometimes something looks like blood, and it's not blood, or sometimes it is blood, but it's blood from a, uh, a uh, uh, some type of a uh, injury, and not from the uterus. As a matter of fact, it's an amazing story. Just to show you guys the wisdom of the G'dolei Israel, my Rav, Rav Ephraim, is also one, a rabbi that is an expert in, in uh, Tarat Mishpacha. But his rabbi, Rav Gidon ben Moshe, is known as like a world expert. 
I, th- I believe Rav Ovadia said he was number one in this particular field. He's well known in it. There's a couple of stories they said uh, that happened. I actually verified with him myself. He says one time a woman came to him and she showed him the uh, the, the, the piece of felt that uh, uh, that had the blood on it. And she said, is this from an injury? Is this from the uterus? He looked at it. Moments later, he said, immediately go to the hospital. Don't even go home. Take a first cab to the hospital. Because what happened? Go to the hospital immediately. She's, just show, she's showing him blood. I mean, if I showed you guys blood, he said, it's blood. It's red. Maybe it's even food coloring. Who knows? He looks at blood. He says, immediately go to the hospital. She goes to the hospital to find out she has cancer. Whoa. And they found it right there and then they healed it. Oh, Hashem. They said if you waited a little bit more, you wouldn't have found it. It was one of those cancers that you could... We don't even know how you know you have it. This is the expertise, level of expertise that Dolei Yisrael have. This is only you can get from Torah. Another one, some fool, some bull, tried to fool him because he's a very, very, very well-known rabbi. And he brings the Bdika to uh, Rav Gidon. He says, is my wife uh, pure or not pure? What do you think? He looks at it, he goes, I don't know if your wife is pure or not pure. He goes, ah, see, see, you're not that much of an expert. He goes, no, no, it's not because I'm not an expert, it's because the blood that's on this is from your teeth. It's not from that section of the body. It's from a tooth. The guy's face became white. So how do you know? Now if I showed you blood from my finger or from this one or from that one, you're going to know where it came from. Abgidon ben Moshe knows. Who also was an expert? Who in history knew? Famous, famous person. All of you have heard his name before. He's in the Torah. David HaMelech. David HaMelech. King David also did this. So you're saying the Tehilim. So Hashem, while all of these other kings are laughing and joking, all I want is to be with you, Hashem. He's, not a, he's, he's proud of the job he has. What job did he have as the king? That was actually his job. He would make sure that all of the women are pure to be with their husband. Now, if a woman is too embarrassed to ask the rabbi, is she allowed to her husband, not allowed to her husband, then she could be making the biggest sin she could possibly make. According to the Torah, a man that's with his wife when she's not pure, it's a bigger sin than incest. It's a bigger sin than being with his mother. So it's very, very important for a woman to know when she's, when she's clean, when she's not clean. It's very important for the man to know how significant it is. Guys don't think much of this stuff. Like, okay, she has a period, she doesn't have a period, it doesn't really make a difference to me. As long as she says, yes, I'm okay. This is, not, this is a problem. So when you're too shy to ask questions, too shy to go to the rabbi, it can lead to problems. Or, for example, someone that doesn't ask questions in regards to different alachot. Because they don't want to look stupid. You know, they think that if they ask questions in a class or in an uh, email or anything like that, like, no, everybody's going to know, I don't know. It's better to look like a drunk your entire life in this world than to be a sinner in Hashem's world for even one second. 
So the person that's too shy to ask questions, it's not showing that he's wise. It's the opposite. It's showing that you're ignorant. You don't realize how you're you're putting everything on the line. What? Just to show that... What are you showing exactly? You're not showing anything. So the reality of it is that if you have questions, you have to make sure to ask as many questions as possible until you know. You have books, you have rabbis, you have have a million different ways to learn Torah today. So there's never a reason to ever be too shy and thinking, no, no, it's, it's not right. I even have people... I had one woman that um, will even ask me certain things about intimacy. And she, you know, Baruch Hashem, she says, listen, I ask you because you don't know who I am. You don't know what I look like. So I feel comfortable that way at least. And generally I forward all the women to my wife to deal with. Um, but there's certain people that will ask questions. They only want to deal with the rabbi or sometimes they want to deal just with the rabbinate. But the point is that people will ask questions. I applaud those people. Because even though some of the questions may seem strange to some people, or they seem off, or they seem this, the reality of it is, it's better to look like a fool than to make a sin. And people ask all types of questions, because there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion out there. People don't know anything, and rabbis don't want to talk about it. You know, talking about intimacy is impossible for people. You know, the, the fact that we made a sure about wasting seed is like groundbreaking, People think it's like such a big deal. In reality, it's in so many books in Chazal that it's not like a... There's nothing groundbreaking about it. Or talking Musar, telling people, listen, you sin, you get punished. You do mitzvah, you get rewarded. That's become like a chidush. So the reality of it is, is that we have to ask questions. We have to put people in a situation, tell them, listen, if you're learning Torah, I need, you need to have an answer. If you don't have an answer, then get me the answer. If not, why are you a rabbi? What are you learning all day? To learn about the next world is not going to help you. I need to learn about this world. So I can survive. You know, I had these uh, three uh, yeshiva boys come to my uh, shiur last night. And they told me, that, you know, they came here for a week to be at a... Uh, they're in yeshiva in New York, but they came here for a break to be in a yeshiva here. And they said, listen, we're in yeshiva over here, but it's a very strange... Uh, very strange place. Tell why it's yeshiva. Because yeah, but all they do is learn about the next world. I'm like, what do you mean? Because all they do is they learn about different mystical things that could happen in this mystical world. And I said, okay, what about this world? Like nothing. I'm like what? Nothing, nothing. Because not even once. I'm there for a week. Not one time did they mention this world. So turning Judaism into uh, some type of, uh, you know, I don't know, comic book. As a matter of fact, it says in the Gemara Masichet Chagigah, from 12 to 15, uh, but especially on uh, 14, it specifically says you're not allowed to teach those types of things to just anyone. And even if you teach it, it only has to be one-on-one. can't teach it to a class. So then the Gemara says, yeah, but there's plenty of people that do teach it. So they're going against the Torah. How could Hashem allow this? He says, oh, that's because no one understands what they're talking about anyway. Hmm. So you have a class full of young kids. They all come there to learn Torah. You're telling them about different Maaseh Merkava, Maaseh Bereshit, all different types of mystical things that happened, are happening. But it's beyond, beyond all of our intellect, including the teacher. 
What happens? No one understands what's going on. Everybody wasted their time, but everybody thinks they're a Hasid at the end of the day. The beard grew a little longer, the hat got a little bigger and a little darker, the suit it looks like a little more worn out, so you look like you're uh, special. No one knows anything. No one has improved anything, but everyone thinks they're, you know, they already know more about the next world. Hashem allows it because they don't know what they're talking about anyway. If someone wants to be righteous, they'll find a way. This is not, that's not the way, you don't become righteous by learning about worlds that we don't even know anything about yet. Rabbi, excuse me. Yeah. I listen, you said, you said it's better to look drunk in this world than to have a sin in, in Hashem's world. Yes. Is that how you say it? It's better to look drunk your whole life your whole in this life. world. Your whole life, yes, what am I, yeah. Than to be a sinner in Hashem's world for one second. So then the next part is that Hillel mentions to us, Someone that's going to teach, not just someone that's a rabbi, but also someone that's a manager of employees, someone that's a parent, has children, someone that's in a position that he's going to teach other people, he has a group of people, Rule number one of being a teacher, you must be patient. You must be patient. Because it says here, an impatient person cannot teach. You can't. Why? Because people are going to get on your nerves after a while. They're going to ask you the same question 15 times. They're going to interrupt you while you're talking, while you're making a point. They're going to run into the camera. They're going to move their chairs. They're going to do this. And if you're a hothead, you're not going to survive. And what's going to happen, they're going to take it, instead of them coming to learn Torah, they're not going to want to learn Torah ever again. Because if you're going to start yelling at them, hey, don't act like this, don't act like that, they're like, oh, if that's what the Torah is, I don't want to learn that. I'd rather stop, I'd behave better than him without Torah. So first and foremost, if you're going to teach, if you're going to be a parent, if you're going to be a teacher, if you're going to be anyone that teaches in any way, shape, or form, you have to know you have to develop patience. And people will test you. People will test you. I have one student, Baruch Hashem, for two and a half years. He's late to practically every single shiur. Baruch Hashem, he comes every week, but he's late. Every single time. But he's not your typical person that's late. Typical person that's late comes in, sits down, and, you know, goes, becomes like a little bit of a, uh, you know, background. You know, he tries to, like, escape. He doesn't want everyone to, like, look at him that he's late. No, my student, Tzaddik. It's funny, though. He comes in, and he starts giving everybody drinks, and then he opens the bags of potato chips, and he makes so much noise. He makes so much noise that it's like, uh, sometimes I have to stop, I have to wait. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll wait for you, I'll wait for you. It drives me crazy. But what do you do? He comes to the shul, Baruch Hashem, come to the shul. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I tell him all the time, I tell him, you help me work on my midot. You help me, you help me work on my midot. Um, Roy, uh, yeah. This, uh, yeah. Uh, um, in this market, I say midot, uh, if you have the time, uh, you told us before that uh, the person that gets angry, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's uh, the same as an idol worshiper. Angry, yes. So now I remember a story of Hillel. I don't know if you know. Oh, Ken, 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 Hillel, Ken. The bets, the bets. I mean, Ken, Ken, 400, 400 zoos, yes, yeah, yes. Uh -huh, yes. 400 uh, zoos. I have... So, it says that. If you're going to end up being a teacher, you have to be a very, very patient person. And one of the things that Hillel was known for, as uh, Fidel just reminded me, 
is that Hillel was known for his midot. Why are we having Hillel here say the, all these Mishnayot? Because Hillel was known as one of, the, like a, literally a perfect human being. You can never get him angry. To such an extent that it was known that you can never get Hillel angry. So these two guys, these two bulls, had a bet. Like, I bet you 400 zoos that I can get Hillel angry. 400 zoos is like thousands and thousands of dollars in today's world. So the guy says, no problem, he takes the bet on. So what does the guy do? He goes in front of a uh, Hillel's house on Friday afternoon. You know, in those days, it wasn't like, you know, in order to get your uh, bath ready. It's not like today, you turn on the water, it's hot in 10 seconds. Back then, you had to heat the water, you had to prepare everything, you had to get the water. It's a big deal. So he goes in front of uh, Hillel's house and says, Mi kan Hillel, Who here is Hillel? Who he? Like he doesn't know. Hillel is Gdoladol. It's like a, uh, it's like going in front of the White House saying, Who's Trump? Who's Trump? <laughs> He's saying, Who's Hillel here? Who's he? Like he doesn't know. So Hillel hears the name, immediately gets out of the bath, puts the robe on, Runs outside, let me see what I can help, what I can help. You know, it's pressure, it's Friday afternoon, you know, it's Fridays are never easy for any Jew. Even though Hillel, it says in the Gemara, he already started preparing for Shabbat on Sunday. On Sunday, he's already prepared for Shabbat. Wow. The whole week, both him and Shammai would buy things for Shabbat. They would buy the best thing, they'd buy it on the spot and keep it for Shabbat. And if let's say, for example, it was the best chicken, but then they found a better chicken... So they'd buy the best chicken, and then they would eat the chicken they already bought during the week, and they would keep the best one for Shabbat. Wow. So the whole week, from Sunday, they're already preparing for Shabbat. So now Hillel runs out of the bath and says, Yes, how can I help you? And this bull says, Oh, you're Hillel. Yes, 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 I can help you. Yes. Why do uh, Asian people have uh, slanted eyes? Question that, well, you know, it's a question, but it's not exactly a uh, world-changing, life-changing question. He literally gives him an answer. It's good? You need anything else? No, no, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. He goes back into his house, heats the water again, goes back into the bath, and all of a sudden, Mi kanilel, Mi kanilel, again, what? You just know who Hillel is. You just met him ten minutes ago. Pretending again like you don't know who he is. He makes a big deal. Who's Hillel? Who's Hillel? Hillel runs out again. With the robe, the water, everything. Yes, how can I help you? Another foolish question. Like, where does it say this in the Torah? Like, where does it say dinosaurs exist in the Torah? Like, one of those questions. The question that's, okay, you can believe it, don't believe it. It doesn't make a difference. Oh, it says here in Torah, Bereshit, Tanim Gdolim. It's good? You need anything else? No, no, it's okay. Okay, thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, goes back to the... Again, all of a sudden, Mikan Hillel, Mikan... And he continues over and over again. And Hillel continues to come out and answer the question with a soft face, a smile. And he gives him the answer like his question is the most important question in the world, even though his questions in reality are foolish. And he doesn't even want the answers. He just wants to annoy him. But after a while, this Rasha 
raises his hand. He says, I can't do it. I can't believe it. And he says, why? What happened? He goes, I wish there's never going to be another Hillel like you in the world. And he's like, why? Why did I do to you? Why are you, why are you, you know, why are you so upset at me? What did I do to you? My son. He calls him my son. What can I do? He's still, even though he's, he's abusing him right now, he's insulting him, he says, what, can, what did I do to you, my son? How did I offend you? And he says, because he tells him the whole story, I made a bet, 400 zoos, because of you, I lost 400 zoos. And Hillel says, it's better that you lose 400 zoos than I be angry for even a second. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So it gives us a little bit of a perspective that even though Hillel technically had all the reasons in the world to be angry, he, gives, he puts it in perspective where he tells us how bad anger really is. Once you understand how bad the sin is, you're less likely to sin. You're more likely to work really hard to not sin. This is the foundation of Yerat Shammai. Now, there's also a very good story in the uh, Gemara, Masechet Eruvin, um, about uh, Rabbi Preda. Rabbi Preda had a student who had a, you know, difficult time understanding. So everything that he would, no one would teach him. No one would teach the student except Rabbi Preda. Lama? No one can handle him. Because the student was like a, had a brain like a rock. Nothing come in, nothing come out. So to teach him every single thing he wanted to teach him, he had to teach him 400 times. So, for example, here it says, En bu yirechet. Got it? Yes. En bu yirechet. Got it? Again. You'd have to read, read, En bu yirechet 400 times in order for the student to get what he says. If I say it four times, I'm already losing my mind. 400 times, he has to do it every single lesson, every day. One day, Rabbi Preda says to the student, Okay, listen, today I have a meeting. So make sure... They were focused. Student says, no problem. They learn, they learn, they learn. 400 times. 400 times. Usually after the 400 times, the student says, I got it. But this time, he didn't say it. Because, my prayer says, no. You get it? He goes, no, I don't understand. He says, what happened? What happened today? Usually after 400 times, you understand because you know, from the minute you came in and you said that you have a meeting, all I can think about the whole time is the fact that maybe we're not going to learn 400 times today, so I'm not going to get it. So I can't think about what you're saying, and I can just think about maybe you're going to leave and I'm not going to learn. So Yuhayda says, okay, you're right. You're 100% right. It's my mistake, he says. Let's forget, I'm canceling the meeting. Let's start all over again. And he starts teaching him 400 more times like it was the beginning. Me, again, like I said, me, four times, I'm already losing my mind. He also, he's doing 400, now he's doing another 400. And the Gemara says, A kol, a heavenly voice came from Shemaim. And said that Rabbi Preda broke his own midot. He broke his own Yetzirah. Even his own high level was not enough to where he got to at this point. He overcame his own biggest obstacles. 
He says, which one would you like? Would you like for your entire generation to have ulama ba? Or would you like to live 400 more years for each time you taught him? He says, I want my entire generation to have ulama ba. And Hashem says, you'll have both. Wow. So to have patience is something that's not only viewed favorably in Hashem's eyes, but it's something that's viewed very favorably by anyone that you're ever going to have as a student. Anyone that you're ever going to have as a spouse. It's very, very difficult to get along with someone who doesn't have patience. Because if, you're, if you don't have patience, usually it's because you're an angry person. You have like anger issues or you have... And this can create some serious and very dangerous problems in marriage where if your wife is scared to ask you something and if you're known as an angry person the Gemara says you being angry your wife thinking that you're angry can lead you to which is murder uh, which is a sex crime and Chilul Shabbat just your wife thinking that you're angry can lead you to all three of those sins. So the Gemara says, how? Okay, he's angry. Okay, he says, listen, I'm angry. How's it going to lead to all these three sins? Because first and foremost, if the wife missed the appointment to go to the mikveh, and if she comes home and says, honey, I'm sorry we can't be together because I missed my appointment for the mikveh. If she's scared of you because you're a hothead, She's not going to tell you the truth. So what's she going to do? She said, no, 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 I went, I went. I went to the mikveh. And then what happens? That's a sex crime now. Because you're not allowed to be with your wife. But she's still nida. But she's too scared to tell you she's nida. Then number two, it says, uh, a uh, spilling blood. How? The wife is running. You know, she's supposed to go, go to the mikveh. She cooked, she cleaned, she did everything she had to do. But now she has to run to the mikveh. And now she's so scared that she's going to miss it because of your anger issues at home that she falls and hurts herself. That blood is your sin. If you aren't such a hothead, she wouldn't be running like a crazy person. She'd know, okay, if I miss it today, then tomorrow is another day. He's an adult. He can handle himself. Third is Shabbat. How does it get to Shabbat? He says the wife... Ran late, but she's too scared to tell you that she didn't prepare everything before Shabbat. Or perhaps the plot that didn't work. By the time you come from, from she's scared that if by the time you come back from Beknesset, the food's going to be cold. So what does she do? She cooks on Shabbat. Without telling you. She's telling, no, 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 this is ready. To you, everything is perfect. But to her, she just violated Shabbat for you. It's your sin. The husband's sin. It's not her fault. Poor lady is living in fear. So anger is not just bad as far as the Abu Dazarai. It destroys everything. There's actually a famous story that actually happened in Israel 30-something years ago. There was a young guy that uh, tried robbing an old lady. Older lady. And uh, when he tried ripping her purse off from her, from her arms, she fell, hit her head and died. Now this was very uncommon in Israel in those days. In America, unfortunately, stuff like that happens often, but in Israel it's very uncommon. 
So it was a big deal when this happened. So they go to the trial, and the uh, young guy's parents come, and as soon as the mother comes, they show her the picture of the uh, victim. And the mom starts hysterical screaming and yelling and crying uncontrollably. Eventually, they, uh, you know, they calm her down. Like, this is not your son. This is the victim. And she says, Your Honor, you don't understand. What? 20 years ago, I told my husband I'm going to go to the mikveh. Now, my husband, unfortunately, is a very angry guy. He's a very angry guy. And I knew that if I don't come back, if I don't go to the mikveh, he's going to be very angry at me. And I was scared to death. But I had to fix the house, I had to do everything, take care of everything. By the time I got to the mikveh on Friday night, I got to the mikveh, the woman just closed the door, and I begged her, please, please, let me in, let me in, let me just go in, I'll be really quickly, I'll be really quick. Because I'm sorry, lady, you know we close at this time. I also have a family. I'm going home. No, but please, please, my husband's gonna kill me. If I don't go to the mikveh, my husband is, is this, my husband is that. Please help me. Lady, it's not my business what your husband's gonna do. I'm going home. Begging this lady to please help me. We're arguing already for 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, I could have finished. She refuses to open the door. Says, next time, learn to come on time. You know, sometimes people like to teach lessons. Everyone wants to teach everyone a lesson. Next time, learn to come on time. And she closed the door and she left. I went home. And my husband, immediately when he got home, he said, So you went to the mikveh, right? And of course, I was too scared to lie. So I said, yes, yes, I went. And we were together. And that night, we conceived this boy. This boy that is on trial. So the judge asks, okay, so why are you hysterical? You already knew that he was here. Because you don't understand, Your Honor. The victim, that was the mikveh lady. Wow. That was the mikveh lady. The woman that he grew up 20 years later to kill, that was the woman that we conceived that night. Without being pure. She also had part of the sin. She should have let her in. But nonetheless, measure for measure. Hashem punishes measure for measure. People must understand that Hashem is not kidding. They must understand that at some point or another, somebody has to understand that Hashem is definitely not kidding. He's not our friend. He's not a uh, our buddy. He is definitely not kidding. And these stories are very real. The next part of the Mishnah, the fifth part, says, Anyone who excessively is occupied in business cannot become a scholar. Now this applies to many people today, where if I ask people, do you want the Mashiach to come? Everyone says yes. Whether it's a Dik or Rasha, everyone wants the Mashiach to come. The reality is that most people don't really understand what happens once the Mashiach comes. Now there's a Tehilim that you read in your prayer. 
you know, most of prayer in your Siddur is uh, Tehilim. Psalms. So there's a Tehilim where it says, Ubal etzion goel eshaveh pesha be'yakov. And the uh, goel, the Mashiach, will come to save, to bring salvation to those that stop making sins. To those people that did tshuva. Meaning, who's the Mashiach coming to help? Who's the Vida Melech writing about? He says, this is what's going to happen when the Mashiach comes. Mashiach is going to come to save who? To save the people that did tshuva. Not to save the Rashaim. Not to save the people that are still sinners. Not to save the people that are still driving on Shabbat. Not to save the people that are still not a, uh, keeping kosher. No. He's there to save the people that stopped sinning. People that did tshuva. If someone didn't do tshuva, the Mashiach is not good for them. They should read Tehilim for him not to come. Because according to the Gemara, Masechet Abu Dazara, once the Mashiach comes, there's no more conversion, there's no more tshuva. Whatever you are, you are. If you are taking your time, no, I'll do tshuva next week, I'll do tshuva next year, I'll do tshuva next century, I'll do tshuva next Gilgul, I'll become modest then, maybe then I'll start covering my hair, maybe then I'll start wearing a skirt, maybe then I'll start wearing a kippah, maybe then I'll start studying, maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, Mashiach comes, maybe ran out. Time ran out. There's no more conversion, there's no more... Tshuva. And it specifically says in Psalms, he's here to save the people of did tshuva. This is also one of the best arguments against Christianity. Because Christians claim that their guy that died 2,000 years ago, which some people doubt he even existed, but the point is they say he died, and now you don't have to do anything. Because he died for your sins. So why does David Melech say that the only people he's going to save are people that stop sinning? This contradicts itself. If it didn't matter that you're sinning, why is the Vida Melech telling you that he's only going to save if you stop sinning? So there's a million and a half arguments against Christianity. This is just one of many. But nonetheless, this teaches us something very important. Most of us want the Mashiach to come, but at the same time we want to still enjoy this world. It's like somebody says, I want to finish the entire Gemara, the entire Shas, Overnight. But I want to sleep too. You know, if you're a Talmud Chacham, you finish the Gemara once every seven years. If you're more, if you're a big time uh, serious scholar, you can finish it in a much shorter period of time. I know somebody that can finish the Gemara, the whole Shas, in two months. This is absolutely not normal. You finish it even once in your life, it's already a big deal. But the point is, is that if you're a Matmid, if you're dedicated, you could achieve many, many things. If you're serious about tshuva, you can become a chassid, you can become a tzaddik, you can become a lot of good things. But if you're constantly procrastinating everything to next week, and next month, and next year, and next century, and next life, and the next life after that maybe, you already lost the battle. So one of the best excuses that I hear all the time, that people tell me why they don't come to the shiul, or why they haven't had the lecture yet, or why they can't keep Shabbat, or why they can't do this and why can't they do that? The most common excuse is what? I gotta work. I gotta work. My job, my panasa, 
I have to work, that's why I can't keep Shabbat, because I have to work on Shabbat. I have to work, that's why I can't come to the shiur. I work very late. I have to work, that's why I can't, I'm too tired to watch this. I'm too tired to do that. Everything is work. Okay, so this is what they're going to do. He's telling you here, if work is a constant excuse, just know that to achieve any of these things we just mentioned is impossible. To even be a basic level Jew is not possible if your priority is your job is number one. If your job and money is your number one priority, your whole world is upside down. Yes, you need to work. Yes, you need to make Parnassah. But you didn't come to this world to work and make Parnassah. You came to this world to fulfill Hashem's will. You came to this world to gather mitzvot. Each mitzvah is a huge priceless diamond. You're here to gather as many of them as possible. Work is to survive the material world. You didn't come to the world to build extensions to houses. You didn't come to the world to become a real estate uh, tycoon. Came to the world to survive, but to fulfill Hashem's world, but to fulfill Hashem's will. Now, if you're excessively occupied in your business, not only are you not going to be able to become a scholar, but you're not even going to be able to work on any of your midot. Because if you're chasing money all day, when are you working on Musar? When are you going to start developing your anger issues? Stop being angry. Then if you, if, you, if you don't stop being angry, then you're going to be that husband that comes home and yells at his wife. Or you're going to be that wife that comes home and yells at her husband or yells at the kids. And then if you're continuing not to learn, also when finally you get to the class, finally you get to the class, the once you got to the class, you're going to feel, hey, wait a minute, nah, it's not nice, it's, uh, I'm shy to ask questions. Maybe they're going to realize that I don't know anything. So then you're not gonna you're gonna be too shy to ask a question. So even to add, even to develop yourself, you're not gonna be able to do. And on top of that, you're not gonna only you're not gonna be able to become a chassid. You're not also gonna become even a amalis because you're not even gonna know what to keep and what not to keep. Which means that you have to stay at level one, which is bull, which is the worst possible level. So this constant excuse that people use as far as work, work, work. Yes, everyone needs to work. Everyone needs to make a living, hundred percent. But no one needs to work. 24 hours a day. God is not going to give you a test that you can't handle. He's not going to put you into this world in a place where it's impossible for you to learn Torah. If Am Yisrael was able to learn Torah in a desert, if Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were able to learn Torah in a desert, if Am Yisrael was able to learn Torah while being slaves, if Am Yisrael was able to learn Torah through the pogroms, you could learn Torah right now. We live a very, very comfortable life. The reality of it is, low class today, the lower class today, is more equivalent to middle and upper class of previous generations. When we say, oh, I'm starving, that just means you haven't eaten for two hours. If you ask our parents and our grandparents, what does it mean I'm starving to you? I'll say, yeah, that means you just haven't eaten in three or four days. That means you've been celebrating Yom Kippur voluntarily. Well, involuntarily for four days because you don't have food. We don't have, we're the only generation that ever had weight problems because we eat so much. Previous generations couldn't find food. 
We have a very comfortable life, Baruch Hashem. But we can't use the reward that Hashem is giving us, this, this extra amazing reward in this world against Him. And on top of that, say, no, no, I can't wait for the Mashiach to come. It's not realistic. Rabbi, yeah. question. I was told that uh, if you get angry all the time, you can control your anger. Uh-huh. There's no way that you can get uh, pray for healing and get healed. Yes, when, you, when you're angry, it's very, very difficult to uh, get closer to Hashem because anger is considered a, uh, in, in essence, it's considered idol worship because when someone is angry, they're angry because they think that the world is supposed to run according to their tune. It's supposed to run according to what they want, which means they think they're God. They're a mini-God, but they think they're God. So Hashem says, if you think you're God, and I know I'm God, I can't be next to you, so pray to yourself. You understand? So this is something that it's, it's must work on. All of us have to work on it. All of us get angry. All of us lose our temper. It's it's not easy. It's not easy to work on any of these things that I tell you. But you're every shiur. It's not. I don't. You don't. I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think. Listen. By the end of the shiur, all of these things are going to be fixed because you listen to it. The point of every shiur is to pick something. Pick one thing out of the entire shiur. We talk for two hours, three hours, whatever we talk for. Pick one thing, on that's it. what I'm going to work on this week. That's what I'm going to work on this month. If each time you have a shiur, you pick one thing that I say, one thing that the Torah says, and that's what you're going to work on, we've achieved something. But if you try to take everything on one, it's too much. But the same token, if you take nothing, nothing's going to change. So... The last part of the Mishnah is something that's extremely relevant to all generations, but especially the one that we live in. Which is, The sage Hillel says, In a place where there are no leaders, strive to be a leader. What does it mean, Ish? Ish is Adam Yireh Shamayim. The Rashet Tevot of Ish is three letters. Each one breaks down to one word. Adam Yireh Shamayim. Ish means, even though it means a person, it means a person that has fear of Hashem. That's who Hashem considers a Ish. If someone has Yireh Shamayim, yes, that's my creation. That's my son. You have Yireh Shamayim, you're something else. You're also my creation, but we're not connected. So he says, in a place where there's no Yirat Shamayim, you be the one that brings it there. In a place where there's no leadership that teaches about Yirat Shamayim, teaches about the basic level of connecting to Hashem Barach, then you be it. Don't wait for somebody else to come. You know what Yirat Shamayim is? Teach it. Get the book. Get the CD. Get people to wake up. Don't wait for the Mashiach to come. Once he comes, it's too late. There's no more once he comes. Your community is full of people that think that you can do whatever you want, like the Christians, and everything's going to be okay. Be the one that tells them, hey, by the way, the Torah says otherwise. 
You want proof? Look at half the Torah. Not one chapter, not one verse, not one paragraph. Half of the Torah talks about punishment. And it's not just punishment of that generation. It's punishment of future generations. Rabbi, yeah. in, the, in the Talmud, I think it says that uh, if, you, uh, if you see a task that you know that needs to be done, mm-hmm. there's nobody else to do it. Okay. You are the man who's called to do it. Yes. Yes, I mean, listen, every, every, every task, every mitzvah that you have an opportunity to do, you should chase it and invest in it and do as much as you can. Uh, because if we understood the value, just like we uh, were talking about before, if you understood the value of a mitzvah, just a single mitzvah, you chase it like it was the biggest treasure in the world. Like a precious diamond, you said. Right, and it's actually, Shlomo Melech says it in, uh, in Proverbs. Uh, it's how do you get to a point of having Yerat Shemaim? How do you get to a point of having a real connection with Hashem? A lot of people ask this question. It's a very, very important question. So Shlomo Amelach gives you a very simple instruction set. It says in chapter 2 Proverbs. of Proverbs, the first seven verses. My child, if you accept my words and treasure my commandments with yourself to make your ears attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for only, this is verse 3, for only if you call out to understanding and give forth your voice to discernment. If you seek it as if it were silver, if you search for it as if it were hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Hashem, and then you will discover the knowledge of God. So here he's telling you in so many words, you want to get to Yirat Shemaim, you want to get to becoming not just a righteous person in your imagination, but a righteous person in reality. You want to get to Yirat Shemaim, you want to actually even get to a point of having knowledge of what God is, chase each one of His mitzvot like you chase money. Chase each one of His mitzvot like you're chasing a treasure. You ever see these movies they have on, uh, you know, they'd say these people is pirates looking for treasures, they kill yeah. each other, they do this, they do that, they're all looking for this one treasure. Chase one mitzvah, simplest mitzvah in the world, just like each day chase the treasure, then you'll understand what Yerat Shemaim is. Then you'll understand knowledge of God. Then you'll understand the truth. Then you'll know why you're in this world. Now, when it says that when we're surrounded by people that do not have Yerat Shemaim, you're the one that's supposed to bring it there to give us an understanding of what Yirat Shemaim can get to. We learn from Parashat Shavua. In Parashat Shavua, Parashat Vayigash, we continue the story of Yosef HaTzadik and his brothers after they passed the test Yosef HaTzadik in chapter 45 verse 3 says and Joseph says to his brothers I am Joseph is my father still alive but his brothers could not answer him because they were left disconcerted before him says they were 
petrified from his face. What do you mean petrified from his face? Torah says he was a very, very handsome man. Why are they so petrified? So Chazal explains they all died. From fear, they all died. And Hashem brought them back to life. Why they all died? Because the moment he told them, I am Yosef, Hashem gave them the knowledge of the entire story for the last 22 years of what actually happened from the minute they threw him into the hole with the scorpions and the snakes to how he was sold four different times to how he was served in the house of Potiphar. He passed the test. He went to jail. He stayed in jail. Became the viceroy. Set up the entire country of Egypt in a way, just waiting for this day for his brothers to come so he could welcome them. He made each one of the people in Egypt move from city to city. Not because he wanted to annoy them. If you're a politician, you want people to like you. So Chazal asked, why do you keep moving everybody from city to city? In order to move everyone out of Goshen. So when eventually his brothers and his father come, it's free. There's no one there. So only his family can be in Goshen. They don't have any tabut ra'ah, any bad influence from the Egyptians living next to them. You don't want to live next to bad influence. You want it to be like Bnei Brak. But he's already getting ready 10 years before. Where did he learn this from? He learned this from Yaakov Avinu. How do we know? When the brothers come back, same parasha, after, obviously, they embrace them and celebrate, they come back to their father and they tell Yaakov, your son, Yosef, is alive and he's also the king of Egypt. Initially, Chazal says that Yaakov didn't believe them. You have the 11 tribes here, 11 out of the 12, each one of them is like a Malach Hashem, it's an angel. You don't believe them? The old Tzadikim, Kedoshim. Why does he believe them? When he goes outside and he sees the cows. He sees the carriages, the wagons, and the cows. Well, he believes the cows more than he believes his son. So what happens? When they told him Yosef is alive, Yosef Chai, they mean that Yosef is not just alive, meaning he's still righteous. Because Torah says a wicked person is even dead in this world. He's alive physically, but in Hashem's eyes, considered dead. Someone that's not complying with Torah is considered dead in Hashem's eyes. Right. What a, a righteous person is alive forever. So they're telling him, wait a minute, Abba, Yaakov, Yosef is alive. Meaning he's still righteous. And he's the king of Egypt. Yaakov already knows this one doesn't go with the other. Because usually the more rich you are, the more successful you are, the righteousness goes down, becomes like a hobby, becomes like a once in a while thing. 
you donate money, not really because you want to donate the money, because you want people to know you're a righteous person. You donate the money, so they put your name on the door. So it looks like you're a righteous person. Not really because you're a righteous person. You don't really care about those little kids that can't eat. You don't really care about the kids that have a disease. You don't really care about the hospital. You don't really care about anything. You care about people thinking that you care. That's a reality. And you also care about the fact that you're going to get a tax break too. That's reality. So Yaakov already knows this. It's not possible for him to be a king. And on top of it, you're telling me he's a tzaddik still? He's still yourself a tzaddik? But then he looks at the wagons and the cows and he believes them. Why? Chazal says because they told them all of the teachings. Yosef said, maybe Abba is not going to believe me. He's not going to believe you guys that I'm still his son. I still learn Torah every day. So just show him and tell him everything I want to tell you. And he repeats to them the last lesson that Yaakov and Yosef learned together 22 years earlier. And he repeated to them the entire shiur. A few hours shiur, they were learning about the halachot of Iglaufa. Which is the reason why he sent him the cows, because he sees that's a cow. So he gave him signs. So he saw the signs on the uh, that not only are they repeating his lesson, the brothers are repeating the lesson, because they weren't part of the shiur, it was one-on-one. Yosef and Yaakov were Chavuta. They studied together. So the brothers never heard the shiul. So now all of a sudden he's telling them the shiul of everything that Yosef learned 22 years earlier. And he also sent them these special carriages showing them this is what we learned about. So he says, ah, my son is alive. So Yosef is studying Torah? Still studying Torah. While, while, while he's still, while he's a viceroy. Studies oral Torah. In those days, there was no written right, Torah. Right. It was only oral Torah. Right. So now, Yaakov says, okay, so we're going to go down to Egypt. But then he does something interesting. He tells Yehuda, the leader of the tribes, he took leadership after the Uven made a mistake. And he tells Yehuda, Go there and build me a kolel. Build me a yeshiva. Now you would think, okay, I'm bringing 70 people with me. What do we need? We need a house. We need a grocery store. At least a deli. place to go to the bathroom. A place to shower. No, he said, no. Go build me a place to study Torah. Because Yaakov knows, first you have to build the foundation of what's going to keep us alive. But keep us alive forever, not just keep us alive in this world. Keep us alive in Hashem's eyes. The only thing that's keeping us alive in Hashem's eyes is if we're the Ish, if we're the ones that have Yirat Shemaim. The only way you can get Yirat Shemaim is you have a place to study Torah. We'll sleep on the street. As long as we can go to Kolel. As long as we can learn Torah. As long as Hashem still views us as people. As His sons. Go build me a yeshiva first. Then build a house. This is where we learn of how Yosef 
already did everything he did for 10 years before Yaakov came. For 10 years he's moving all of the Egyptians from city to city just to free up Goshen, to make it empty. Because he knows that one day his father's going to come. And his father's going to say, no, I'm not going to build the yeshiva right next to the church. I'm not going to build the yeshiva right next to all the goyim. I don't want my kids hanging out with all the goyim. Yes, they're nice people, but two different worlds. They want to eat pork, we eat kosher. They want to go dancing on Friday night, we want to go to Beknesset on Friday night. They say they don't need to do anything, we have to do everything. Two different worlds. I know that my father wants to have a place where we can learn to walk comfortably. The place we learn to walk comfortably has to be only Am Yisrael. So for 10 years, Yosef is moving people from place to place so they don't catch on. And little by little, the, the city of Goshen becomes empty. So when his father sends Yehuda to build the yeshiva, he already has the land, he doesn't have to worry about getting any titles, he doesn't have to worry about getting any permission, it's free, it's clear, it's ready, and Be'ezat Hashem, they go down, and they go into the next part of their mission, they go to, they go to Egypt, and, but they start the exodus, for the next 210 years, but nonetheless, we had a good start. This is showing us this is that the Mishnah that Hillel taught us here all has a foundation in the Torah. It all connects to the parasha. It all connects to every parasha. It all connects to every single word. You just have to have the siyat bishmai to connect all of them. But he's telling you here something extremely important. Everything is everything is connected. Everything is connected. Just like the last Mishnah we said, that unless you're not going to procrastinate your learning Torah, you won't fail in these tests. Here he's telling you all of these major critical points that will make you a person that has Yerat Shemayim, where you're not going to be a boor, you're not going to be an Amaretz, maybe you'll actually even have a chance of becoming a Hasid, a real one, you're not going to be too shy to ask questions. You're going to ask the right questions. You're not going to have anger issues where everyone's going to be scared around you and walking on eggshells. You're not going to spend too much time working and having every excuse in the world not to show up to the shiur or not to learn Torah or not to do tshuva because you know what your focus is. The very basic thing is, again at the end, it says, Makom she'en anashim ish. Hillel is telling you the fact that there's very few people in the world that don't have Yirat Shemaim. There's very few people in the world that actually have Yirat Shemaim. The fact that there's very few people in the world that are actually righteous. The fact that most people are completely the opposite of what we learned about doesn't make it okay for you to be one of them. Because he's telling you the fact that they're all sinners is not going to help your case in Shemaim. If they're all violating Shabbat, it doesn't help you. If they're all eating pork, it doesn't help you. If they're all worshipping, it doesn't help you. Because here he's telling you specifically, even though everyone else does not have Yilat Shemaim, even though everyone else 
does not believe in the right God, even though everyone else is in the wrong direction, you're still responsible liot ish. You're still responsible to do your best to follow what Hashem says. You can't make an excuse. And that is what we learned from Hillel, who obviously learned it all the way from our forefathers, because we saw that even Yaakov knew what was important, knew that he has to build a kola and the yeshiva before you build a house. And we saw that it translated and transferred to Yosef, or how he already prepared what he learned from his father 10 years before his father came in, and his whole family came in. And Yiratzon, that all of us will prepare our life the same way, so when the Mashiach finally does come, we're actually ready. Any questions? I got one beside the point. No, it's not yeah, no, go continue. Right. It's fine. How is it that the world is is um, is um, upside down? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that the, in each generation there are thirty six, seven. Okay. The, the, the whole the world from destroying and being, you know. Okay. Okay. So like, uh, what, are these what, is number, what, what does the number thirty six come from? It's in the Gemara. Actually, Gemara? There, there, there is a, there is, no, it's a Gemara. It's in the Gemara. Oh, it's in the Gemara. Torah. It's yeah. uh, It says that there has to be Lamed Vav. 36 righteous people in order for Hashem to continue holding the world together. Holding the world together. Uh, who these 36 people are, we don't know. Um, there's obviously different people. The people that are it probably know who the other ones are, I'm assuming. Yeah. But... Um, there are always there are always thirty six people in every single generation that are in essence holding up the world, but I mean this is some of the uh, very mystical high level stuff, where some people try to find out who these people are, some people try to pretend that they are that, you know you have a lot of people that pretend to be, kabbalists and righteous and, um, the reality is them, anyone the few kabbalists that are real that are left in the world. Most people don't even know that they're Kabbalists. Like the real Kabbalists throughout history were unknown until their end of their life. A lot of them pretended to be nothing. Some of them, actually there's one particular one, I forget his name. He was a major, major tzaddik and a major Kabbalist, but he pretended to be crazy. On purpose? On purpose. So he doesn't get any credit and no one thinks that he's uh, anything special. Every time somebody would... uh, Try to give him a compliment, he'd start acting crazy on purpose. Until uh, the, uh, the Gdola Do, which I also, again, I forget the names of the people in the story. The Gdola Do, which I actually think it was uh, the Chafetz uh, Chaim, but I may be wrong. Uh, the Gdola Do in that generation told him, listen, I know you are who you are. I, uh, you, have to, you have to disclose it. You have to disclose who you are because I'm going to die soon and you have to take over. So, a lot of these real righteous people that are Kabbalists, they were very, very, uh, you know, hidden. Uh, it's not something that you show. So all of these Kabbalah centers, all these people that write stories about Kabbalah or they write books about Kabbalah, don't waste the, uh, your, your eyesight on it. Don't waste your eyesight on it. Don't waste your ears on it. Like I said, for us to have even a small chance of making it when Mashiach comes, making it when our own personal judgment day comes, after 120, is 
being basic level Jews. Kabbalah is not going to help any of us. Because we're not at that level. To be a Kabbalist, you have to be more than Hasid. We're not even Amalek yet. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> so, that's the, that's the, that's the reality. This, I'll give you an understanding of, like, it's not just Kabbalah, it's like the wisdom of the sages is beyond our comprehension. So to give you a small understanding, there is a, a Maril Diskin. story about Maril Diskin. So a major tzaddik, huge chacham, but not regular wisdom. Like we think chacham is like someone that maybe remembers a few books by heart. Or someone that uh, speaks a bunch of languages. That's what we think is a chacham. The Maril Diskin was known as someone that can look at a tree and within a few moments he knows exactly how many leaves are on the tree. So some people didn't believe it. So one time a student asked the rabbi, Rabbi, how many leaves are on this tree? And the rabbi looked at the tree and he gave him some big number. So then the rabbi left and the students were talking amongst each other like, yeah, but how do we know he's right? Like he just said a big number. But we didn't actually count the leaves. How do we know he's right? So one of the students was clever. He's like, okay, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off ten leaves. I mean, there's 50,000 leaves here, he said. He has 47,812 leaves. I'm going to take off ten leaves. I'm going to take off five leaves. Let's see if he gives us the same number again. So they took off the leaves. The rabbi came back a little later. Like, oh, rabbi, can you remind me well, how many leaves are on this tree? He goes, oh, it's the same number I gave you before, minus 10. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, wow. Wow. You understand? So that is Chokhmat Chazal. That is a wisdom that's to us beyond nature. Beyond nature. So when you talk about Kabbalah and people that deal with Kabbalah, these are people that are not just smart. These are people that are... They can change nature. They do things that are unnatural. I have a friend who's an avrech in... Uh, who's an avrech with the uh, same um, kolel as Rabbi Freim. He doesn't do it often, but he knows a little bit of Kabbalah. He's able to bend metal with his mind. Like you take a spoon, and you look at the spoon, and the spoon would melt. Would melt. With a uh, bend. But you only show it to people that know him really well, that he studied with them all day. He doesn't go and, you know, a circus show. Now, he doesn't do it in front of people because even though he can make money off of it or this, it's not, that's not for that. People that really know Kabbalah, which is very, very few, they don't deal with it for that. They, they do things for, to show the power of Hashem. It has nothing to do with them. They're humble people. They're pure people. So... All of these people that are running this multi-billion dollar operation, Kabbalah Center, or selling the books, first of all, a lot of them are not even Jewish. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of them are not even Jewish. Bechlan, nothing. They're not even Jewish. Then you have other ones that are Jewish, but they're kofrim. They're complete heretics. They don't follow, they don't keep Shabbat, they don't keep nothing. Um, so, it's, it's all capitalism. It's all money. The reality of it is that in order for us to live good lives, enjoy both this world and the next, it's the basic level Judaism. Nothing more, nothing less. So you remember that story you told us when you went to Israel last year? 
Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, across the street from uh, in, in Jerusalem, uh, Rabbi Ephraim lives on a, in a place called Halnof in Jerusalem, which is a few buildings away from um, maybe three, four buildings away from where Rav um, Ovadia Yosef used to live. A few buildings away, uh, and uh, but across the street. Like, you know, they have all these buildings, apartment buildings. Across the street, there's a huge fence. And it's a big, big area that's surrounding this, you know, complex. What is this complex? It's a hospital. It's a mental institution. But what's this mental institution doing in the middle of Jerusalem? I mean, there's plenty of places to put a mental institution in. Right. Why over there? Because this mental institution is for people that went crazy from learning Zohar, learning Kabbalah, and they weren't ready for it. But I, I thought even to have a Zohar in your house with you is, is a blessing and it's uh, changing. Having a book in your house and learning it are two different things. Right. You know, again, also learning it and learning it. Talking about Zohar. I mean, yeah. yeah, learning it. Kabbalah is part of the Zohar. Yeah, yeah. Learning it, the real Zohar, and learning just a few words, two different things. Most people don't know how to read the Zohar. It's a completely different language. And when you're really dealing, dealing with deep Zohar and Kabbalah, it has to do with saying uh, angels' names, God's names. This, I'll show you a few things. I'll show you guys something that this is... More than don't, think, don't, don't, think, don't think that I am uh, Kabbalah anything. This is just something that I learned to go to Ephraim just to give you an understanding of what it is. Okay, this, this right here, this page, this is the basic foundation of all Kabbalah. Yeah. And it's different names of God. The, the Yud, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. The, uh, then you spell out the word Yud and then spell out the word Hey and so on. It's, it's the basic level basic foundation of all Kabbalah based on the 72 names? yeah to some extent I guess yes now this is completely illegible not to me and to anyone else but if you delve into things like this and you're not ready you start saying God's name and you're not ready to say the surname or you start saying one of his angels names and your soul is not pure enough to say that name that angel will hurt you Oof. I'll take it. I'll take it offensively. Who are you to say my name? Wow. So the people that went crazy they didn't go crazy because it was a uh, you know so uh, amazing that uh, they went to a different world. No, it's punishment. Mm-hmm. You have to be an ultra pure soul to learn Kabbalah. You have to be ultra pure soul to learn Zohar. It's not for everyone. Yes, there are basic things you can learn from the Zohar, like things that it says, that we even mention in lectures, you know, the things that it says, commentary that it says about Parashat Shavuah, commentary that it says about certain halachot, commentary that it says about certain things that have to do with day-to-day life. Yes, there are certain things you can learn, and there are certain things that uh, certain rabbis teach. Very basic stuff. But it's like very, very basic stuff. Honestly, for anyone that likes mystical stuff, I have a student, his name is Sonny. I think I mentioned him earlier. He loves mystical stuff. And really, if somebody likes the mystical stuff, they don't need to go to the Zohar. Gemara. Gemara has more mystical stuff than you can imagine. Go to the Gemara. If not that, you want something simpler, go to the Midrash. 
basic, real, the real commentary behind the scenes of what happened in the Torah. It's called the Midrash. It's huge. It's endless, hundreds of books. It's better than any comic book you'll ever read. You'll see all the characters you have from comic books, whether it's the Incredible Hulk, or the people that fly, or the people that ran really fast, all of them are based on characters in the Torah. Matter of fact, a big part of them is the 12 tribes. So people, so people that like mystical stuff, they have it. They have it in a basic level Torah. You don't need to go to a place like the Zohar or the Kabbalah uh, and put your life in risk for something that you're probably not going to understand anyway. And if you understand it, it's a problem. Because if you understand it, but you're not ready for it, it could be a problem. Is it Naftali? Naftali was the one that was fast. Yeah. Levi, it's a jump. Right. Each one of them. Each one of them was... Yehuda is uh, the Incredible Hulk is similar to him. So there's a uh, there's a lot there's a lot of amazing teachings that Chazal can uh, that has it's it's that's beyond our understanding. It's a um, yeah, this for example right here this I learned the other day. Uh, this is Chokmat Chazal regarding lies. This is a different Mishnah that uh, where uh, the sages teach us. How they knew all the all the secrets of lying, how to lie, and how to catch a liar. And it's in the Mishnah, it's in the uh, teaching of the, of, the, of uh, the oral Torah, and it teaches all the tricks of how to lie, what to lie, what to say. So now the uh, it's, it's probably at least an hour, an hour and a half uh, sure, but there's other maybe we'll do it next week. But uh, the um, the Big question was Rabbi Yochanan asked, "Should we teach this? Should we teach how to lie?" And he said a famous saying: "Oilim omal, oilim lo omal. Woe to me if I say it. Woe to me if I don't say it. Why? Woe to me if I say it, and maybe the wicked, crooked people." are going to learn this Mishnah, and they're going to learn how to lie. They're going to learn that we know all their tricks. But oily, and we don't say it, and woe to us if I don't say it, and then these wicked people, they're going to think, oh, these uh, religious people, they don't really know anything. They just know some stories about Avraham Avinu. They don't really know the streets. You know how people say he was street smart? Yeah. He's street smart. No, no, he's not book smart, but he's street smart. Like they think it's like a privilege. Everybody's street smart these days. No one is book smart. No one knows how to read the cloud, but everybody's street smart. The reality of it is that if you're a Talmud Chacham, someone's a Talmud Chacham, someone that's glued to the Torah, a real Talmud Chacham, knows everything. Knows the street, knows the courtroom, knows the books, knows everything. Knows science, knows medicine, knows everything. Someone that's a real Talmud Chacham has extensive knowledge about all subjects. And he's not one of these people that, you know, there's plenty of people that pretend to be smart. They read a lot of different books, so they know a little bit about a lot of things. So to the average person, they seem very smart. Because the average person doesn't really know much about much. The average person knows a little bit about some things. But some people read a lot of books, but it's about different subjects. So they know they have something to say about everything. You ask them, you know anything about science? They could, you know, give you three facts about science. Which to you is like, wow. I didn't know those three facts. Tell you know anything about finance? They'll throw you three stock quotes. Apple's at 100, 
Google is at this, and you know, throws three things about everything they could say you a little bit about everything. So to the common person, this person seems like he's really, really smart. In reality, he's not. He just knows a little bit about a lot of things. A Talmit Chacham knows a lot about a lot of things. Meaning he's an expert in multiple subjects. In a secular world, the best place you can get to is knowing a lot about few things. One, two subjects. You're an expert in, let's say, medicine, and maybe, let's say, I don't know, uh, psychiatry or something, because it's a related field. Yeah. You're an expert in law, and maybe also in immigration. You know, it's an expert in like something that's connected. In the secular world, that's the best you can get. Something is, that is related. Right. right yeah. It's usually a lot about very, very few things, and usually those few things are connected. But Talmud Chacham, a real person that's connected to the Torah, you learn everything in the Torah. There's no such thing as street smart in the Torah. It's just knowing the world. Knowing who's a liar, knowing who's honest, knowing what's true and what's false. So, um, there's actually, this, so the conclusion of this Mishnah is, they ask themselves, should we teach it or should we not teach it? If we teach it, people are going to learn from it. If we don't teach it, people are going to think we don't know. And Chashbash Shalom, they're going to think that the, uh, the Torah is lacking. The Torah is only stories. So what was the conclusion? The conclusion was, we teach it. Why do we teach it? Because we use the verse from the book of Hosea, chapter 14, verse 10, where it says that, who is wise and will understand their things? Who is understanding and will know them? For the ways of Hashem are straight. The righteous will walk in them, and the sinners will stumble over them. In In so many words, the prophet is saying, Hashem's ways are straight. We teach what's straight. This, the righteousness, is what's going to help the righteous people. The sinners, we don't care about what they do. They could use our tools as much as they want, but eventually it's going to, it's going to actually, they're going to stumble over it. They can learn what we teach here in the Mishnah of how to lie and think that they're smart, but in reality, this is only going to go against them in the end. So we don't stop ourselves from teaching because somebody may use it the wrong way. This is part of the Torah, we teach it. This is also the same thing when it comes to uh, the most uncomfortable issue in Judaism today, which is intimacy. People don't want people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to talk about wasting seed. They don't want to talk about these private you know, these issues. Uh, but in reality, there is actually teachings in the oral Torah of how to even do that. How to be intimate. There's rules for everything. Hashem, when He created the Torah, he didn't, it was, it's not lacking anything. It's from the minute you open your eyes until the minute you close your eyes. Everything is in the Torah. Everything is in the Torah. There's nothing missing from it. You want to learn business, you can learn it from the Torah. You want to learn about marriage, it's in the Torah. You want to learn anything, it's in the Torah. So, that's why I say all the time that very, very few people in our generation actually know what the Torah is. Most people think it's just a bunch of stories. The great thing about it is that the more we read it, we always we can read it a hundred times, and we're going to learn a hundred new things. Oh yeah, like every time. Movie three, four times, you know, you always see something, there's always something that impacts you, you know? 100%. With the Torah, it's a uh, it's endless amount. You read the same parasha a thousand times, you're still going to learn something new. You're going to learn something new, always. It's endless, it's endless. 
Anything else? Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi.